Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the House of Pod. My name is Dr. Kave Hoda. I hope I'm saying that correctly. I'll be your host for this silly little medical podcast. Today, we have two guests, and I'm very excited about both of them. First, returning to the show, we have Dr. Jonathan Howard, the author of the book, We Want Them Infected, How the Failed Quest for Herd Immunity Led Doctors to Embrace the Anti-Vaccine Movement and Blinded Americans to the Threat of COVID. Thanks for having me back. Happy to be here again. It's really great to see you. Um, and I have uh, I have some questions that, that I want to follow up on from our last uh, talk when we had you on to discuss your book. But first, let's introduce our other guests. We have comedian and history buff, Mr. Dave Anthony, host of one of my favorite podcasts. I'm going to try very hard to not fanboy, but no promises. <laughs> the Dollop. It's a really fantastic show. And I, I think it might be the only history podcast available. I'm not positive about that. Uh, yeah, there's there's only one. That's right. It's just just this one. Um, and, uh, and it's very exciting to have both you guys on. And we're going to talk about um, some COVID-related stuff. We'll also take a look at some of the things that were said about COVID during the last couple of years by some of the people that, you know, we've probably discussed on the show before, people who have maybe a different perspective on COVID and its importance than us, maybe people who have a different view of the vaccines or the, the usefulness of masks. Let me start first. John, we, Jonathan, John, Johnny, Johnny boy, Joe, Jojo. Can I call you? Jonathan? Joho. Okay. Joho. Joho. Um, uh, how are people on the internet liking your book? <laughs> are all the uh, anti-vaccine <laughs> people, are all the anti-vaccine people coming around and telling you how you've opened their eyes <laughs> Telling you how grateful they are. So I think, you know, I've gotten two very different reactions uh, from people who've read it and from people who haven't. Uh, I think <laughs> the people who've read it have 
by and large, uh, I don't want to say enjoyed it. As a matter of fact, a lot of the reactions that I get are very pain-filled reactions that yeah. that sort of say, you know, the the only review I can give this is tears, or a lot of people uh, say they can only read it in small doses because it takes them back to the beginning of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, just, you know, what we're going to talk about today, people declaring the pandemic over as soon as it started. So I think people who've read it have had that reaction. Uh, the people who are accurately quoted in it uh, have had a very different reaction. Uh, most of them have ignored me, which is their perfect mm -hmm. right. I want to be very clear about that. I'm not owed a response from anyone the same way I don't owe anyone a response myself. Uh, but several of the doctors who have been accurately quoted in it have responded by, uh, you know, calling me a schmuck, vile, disgusting, deeply dishonest. Or they have attempted to refute the book by the fact that I'm not giving it away for free, uh, even though I've written 100 free articles on science-based medicine. Um, or by that standard, essentially every book ever written is useless. And mm -hmm. let me tell you, you know, if there's any sort of young doctors out here listening, you know, wanting to get rich, writing a dense medical book about a pandemic most people want to forget is not the best way to, to do it. So um, I've reinvested my earnings so far in an audio book, which was worth all of the money because the guy who read it did a great job. Um, but those have been the reactions. Can I ask you a question? Why, uh, if you love medicine so much, um, why don't you do it for free? Like you should have your book out for free it's obviously what people do yeah, when they I mean, so, so so <laughs> you know obviously none of the people who i've accurately quoted in my book uh have even attempted any sort of meaningful refutation of it right largely it would only require them to stand up for their own words which mm -hmm. we're going to hear a lot of tonight and they would have to say I was right when I said we reached herd immunity in the spring of 2021. Yeah. I was right about that. You were wrong about that. I was right when I said, don't worry about variants. I was right when I said kids don't need to be vaccinated because COVID is going away. So obviously it's easier just to call me names or to say, I'm trying to make a quick buck than to say, you know what? I was right when I said those things. So um, it, it's revealed, um, it's kind of funny to laugh at some of this, but it's actually, I think, kind of sad that this is how doctors are talking to each other in 2023, instead of trying to engage with each other uh, on data and science. Uh, it's just an insult fest. And I, I don't want to say I'm totally floating above it. You know, I can, you know, lose my cool on social media mm -hmm. at times. But for the most part, I hope that my writing uh, and, and what I say is backed up by data and science. And uh, I don't call people idiots, morons, fools, Twitter. Oh, I do. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm not floating above it. I'm, I'm deep I'm in right, the muck. Yeah, I'm, right, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm wading know, through the muck. Yeah, I go on Jonathan tweets and then and then I see him responding calmly and then I swing in underneath and call the guy a total. Or let me let me put it this way. Whatever I, I love that. I really do appreciate that. <laughs> to the extent that I do that, I say you're an idiot, and here's why. And and, yeah. and that's a, that's sort of a crucial point. It doesn't just end with you know. <laughs> no, you're you an idiot. Have to... I say, no, you have your approach. It's good. And 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 they do call you a lot of names. When they call you schmuck, though, that seems like cultural appropriation. I don't think that they should be able to do that to you, Jonathan. But I honestly, I I do see how well I think you're handling it. What's what's funny to me is the criticisms of the book are not like 
are just like you said, they're not really about the words that you say or the people you're quoted. No one's saying you misquoted them. It's it's always stuff like, oh, this book is doing really poorly. <laughs> like like right. like you like it was written to be a New York Times bestseller. You know, you you're not doing this to make money. I'm sure you could probably cover it in a couple of extra shifts if you worked them. You know what I mean? That's not why you did it. You did it to write a good book. No one seems to be refuting that part of it. Yeah, and and no one's even tried. Um, which I think is, is rather telling. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hear tonight why I think it's going to be hard to refute because I'm just going to read from it, which is just pages and pages of, of silly things that that famous doctor said. So, Yeah. Well, have you gotten any feedback that has surprised you, actually? Um, have I gotten any feedback that has surprised me? Um I don't. I, I suppose I should just say that I'm I'm happy that it's gotten some mainstream press. You know, a nice review was written in the mm-hmm. L.A. Times and Psychology Today. You know, it's not like I have a literary agent. I, I have no real sort of connection in the publishing and book world. So I just wrote this every night at my computer, wondering whether or not anyone was going to care or, or, or read it. And uh, it's not a New York Times bestseller. I think right now it is the number uh, 327,000th bestselling book on Amazon six months after it's been published. So nice. Um, but but it's, it's exceeded my expectations in that uh, it sold more than I expected because uh, I thought just my parents would buy it. And it, it I, I have been gratified by the the effect that it has had on people. Uh, just when people sort of say, I can only read five pages at a time before I need to, to throw the book against the wall or take a walk or something like that. You know, it's kind of the rare author who almost intends his book to be unreadable, I suppose, because it infuriates people so much. Uh, but when I see that reaction, I, I know that it's having the intended impact. I think my only my only criticism is that uh, Leanna Wen is not covered extensively. Hmm. Yes, yeah. no, there there are many many doctors who there are. who I left out. <laughs> who I left. You out. can't. Though, I mean, the thing is, the book is very thick as it is. Like you could have just gone on and on and on. Like there's so many. Yeah, absolutely. There, there, there there's no there's no end, and it's still going on today. Yeah. Uh, you know, doctors who have been telling us for the past two and a half years that the pandemic is over uh, are still infuriated that strangers are making efforts to to avoid the virus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was it Prasad that came out today and said, um, you know, send your sick kids to school, send your kids to school with COVID? Don't test. Yeah. He said, don't test don't in test. his Substack article he wrote today. I'm sorry, September 6th, uh, 2023 is. Do not report COVID cases to schools and do not test yourself if you feel ill. <laughs> no, I didn't read it. So maybe it's one of those like bait and switch uh, articles, but it seems like it's not because the tagline is only nonviolent resistance can halt irrational public health actors. <laughs> it's a re- real Martin Luther King moment for Vinay. <laughs> like if you went through all of his comments from beginning to end, you would conclude Oh, this person just wants children to die. It's it seems that way, right? It, yeah, that, whether it's that's football it or it's COVID, <laughs> <laughs> he's got really interesting takes on the stuff. But you know, so Dave, actually, I was going to ask you, you know, the fact that you're paying attention to this stuff. I mean, obviously, I wanted to have you on just because I'm a big fan, like I said, and also because you seem 
to be paying closer attention to this sort of stuff than a lot of other comedians and podcasters are doing. I mean, there's obviously a lot out there that are doing it, but in your world that's like humor and humor adjacent, you are much more involved and I think, you know, really savvy about seeing what's happening and kind of understanding the nuances between the doctors and the the debates. Let me just ask why that is. What, how did you become interested in this more so than maybe every other uh, history uh, comedian uh, podcaster? I, yeah, I think it's because of the history background. You know, my podcast is essentially the history of the downtrodden, um, the, you know, the people who didn't have a voice. And that's what this is, right? And and as it went on, there there just came a point where it seemed very obvious that they were like, well, rich people are going to be fine and do what they want and everyone else gets to suffer. And that's everything that I'm against. So I kind of I kind of clued into that early on and watching it progress has just been more and more horrifying. And also we have a lot of uh, immunocompromised people that listen to our show. And when we have masked only shows, like I've had people come up to me crying because they can't get out of their house and they could come to my show. And I just don't understand how people can't comprehend. You know, you're screaming about lockdowns. You're locking people down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a segment of our population that is locked down. Um, and I find it just absolutely horrifying. So from those aspects, uh, I've been very interested. I've also always, I've, I've always been sort of obsessed with the the longer, like the longer view of things. I've been called a Cassandra and all that stuff, but I like, I like just sort of see things in a long term. And to me, long term, this is looking very bad. And it always had, as soon as I heard about long COVID, I said, well, math wise, that really won't work out over time. So I've just kind of always in my mind, it's always been terrible response after terrible response. So I'm just kind of obsessed with it. I think a lot of people can check out and just sort of say, okay, I'm going to go on with my life, but I, for whatever reason, I don't have that ability. What I'm sorry, what is a, the Cassandra of it? What you mentioned, you, people may see you as a Cassandra. What is that uh, a reference to? So Cassandras are people, uh, it's a, a reference to um, Helen of Troy, not Helen uh. of Troy, the name, they brought the big horse into the thing. And all yeah, of a sudden, yeah, the Trojan horse, yeah, out. yeah. Right. So there was a Cassandra there going, I wouldn't let that thing in. That seems like a bad idea. So that's where Cassandra <laughs> comes from. Um, essentially, it's it's people who sort of see like a longer view of things and see more danger than than other people do. I've mm -hmm. always been sort of I was the guy who's like, Trump's going to win and saw the housing crisis before it happened. Like I was just reading about stuff and being like, this doesn't make sense. So I've always been considered people have always said to me, I thought you were crazy. And then. I came back 10 years later and you were right. Like I've gotten that all my life yeah, and yeah. I'm getting it now. I'm back in the position. Where I'm like, yep, I'm the crazy one. I've done this before. Yeah. yeah. Um, but essentially That's I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with like reading and finding out information. And when you do that, well, I also have a lot of free time to do that. So when you do that, yeah, I think you take a different view than most people who have to work constantly and can't actually investigate and can't actually get into the, all the stuff you need to get into to figure out what's really going on. Yeah, no, I imagine the historian's perspective on that is is huge. I don't know if you consider yourself a historian. I do. I think you I think you do a pretty good job. But I mean, I don't know. Do you consider yourself like a history buff or a historian? Yeah. I consider myself a history buff. Like I would love to get a degree, but until I have like a degree in history, I think I think the difference between me and and a historian is they're trained in actually how to research and figure out what's true and what isn't. And I try my best, but I think historians have a better grasp of that. Well, something else you mentioned that Jonathan and I have spoke about before, which I'm really glad you bring up, is this 
the the argument for the downtrodden because both camps you know seem to make that argument the people who are against any sort of you know mask mandates or who are against vaccines for people who push back on all these things these covid contrarians that was their argument too. Literally, Jay Bhattacharya called me laptop class, which I, I still to this day do not understand. Like why? I mean, I, I have a laptop. I mean, I, you, I'm recording this on it, but like I was also going into work, you know, yeah. every day during COVID. So like, um, but they will make the argument and I, I find it to be very cynical that they're doing it for the people. They're the ones that we are the ones, these doctors here who are making a big fuss over COVID are the ones who don't care about the people working in the restaurants and the businesses closing and all that stuff. And I'll be honest, I could see how someone in passing like a Rogan or a Bill Maher or one of these other like, you know, personality, media personality types would hear those arguments and fall for them. And, and there was something, what was it that kept you from falling for those arguments? Or how did you see through that? I, that, that's a really interesting question. How did I see that? Um, I, I, I come from this perspective of, we have enough money to take care of people to get through this. We can pay people to not do the dangerous jobs. We can now, after we do that, then we can set the jobs up, the schools up, all the places up by cleaning the air and getting people in a better situation pass OSHA regulations uh, and, and have masking in, in these situations. And then you're better, then you're better off, right? Then you're better off than just going back to work where you get sick all the time. That's the part that like you can sit here and scream like, well, they closed down the restaurant and this guy can't work. Well, the alternative is for the rest of that life, that guy is going to be in a workplace that makes him sick. So what does he get COVID twice a year? So that's 10, maybe 20, maybe 30 days off. Can he afford that? None of it makes sense to me when I hear those those arguments because their argument is just get everybody out there and then you're sick all the time. Mm-hmm. And I just mm-hmm. I can't comprehend it. And then you throw in long COVID. And now I really don't know, like, how many people do we know? I have yeah. a friend that's just that's just he's a, he's an actor comedian and he's like, I'm done. I can't live my life anymore. I'm done. That's like, I can't function. That's heartbreaking. I mean, I have to say, I, I long COVID is scary to us too. And and it's so up in the air right now that we know very little about it. I mean, I don't know if, I don't know, Jonathan, do you feel like doctors, even most doctors even believe it exists at this point? I mean, how- I, I, think, I, I think we believe it exists, but I think that we don't have a very good grasp of it. And I definitely include myself in this I, I read an article in the new york times today where some where someone sort of made, made, made the same point that you can read one study and it's you know one out of 100 people you can read another study and it's you know 40 percent of people which i don't think jives with my our real world experience like it's not like 40 percent of people we know ha- have long covid um so i think it depends on how the disease is defined and i think that that's a, a very important thing that we in the medical profession have to do is really come up with a good definition of this. There's actually a whole word about this that very few doctors know called nosology, which is how doctors define and classify diseases. And we don't think about it a lot, but it's actually very important. And some very old diseases, the main disease that I treat, multiple sclerosis, which is a famous disease, which has been around uh, you know, for as long as, as humans have been recording medicine almost, um, has undergone some definitional changes in the past 10 years, which have really changed the entry criteria criteria. And I've talked to some people in the long COVID community who feel, you know, multiple symptoms should be included and 
um, you know, they want a very broad definition so that that they feel that enough people are captured. And I understand why that is. But the broader you make it, the less sensitive you make it. So with, with every new symptom you include, you gain something and, and you lose something. You lose specificity uh, for defining the disease. So I think that's an important challenge that we have to do. Uh, is really to define the disease. Um, and, and I'll make one point about, uh, you, you know, what you were saying before about some of these people who, you know, claim to speak for the downtrodden or, or, or this this sort of thing. Um, I, I One thing that I've noticed is a lot of the doctors who I've written about uh, became very concerned about things like teenage suicide in 2020 uh-huh. and 2021. Yeah. And they're no longer concerned about teenage suicide <laughs> or they became very concerned about the effects of school closures and vaccine mandates on black and, and Hispanic children. And they they claimed, uh, you know, it was having a horrible and devastating effect on, on, on you know, that population. Uh, and that concern also appeared in 2020 and also ended in 2021 and was just limited to to those sorts of things nothing about uh violence or poverty uh just vaccine mandates and school closures so um i'm going to be writing an article for science-based medicine on this topic i haven't decided if i should make it a, a serious article or sort of a satirical article you know i was very concerned about teenage suicide in, in from 2020 to 2021 and and, and not after that but, uh, you know so, so or or to call it serious you know that that genuine concern is consistent concern so when you hear about doctors uh who you've had on your show like dr tyler black you know who have been concerned about teenage suicide you know well before the pandemic uh, who are still concerned about suicide, and they're concerned about it independent of the pandemic today, for example. So um, I, I think a, a lot of people sort of took on the mantle of, uh, uh, you know, this sort of fake concern for, yeah. for you know, Black and Hispanic people. And these, and, and one woman who I called out uh, uh, for doing this on, on, on Twitter uh, went on Tucker Carlson's show. You know, mm. she, she has a dozen sort of tweets. Oh, you know, I'm not against vaccines. I'm against discrimination. And vaccine <laughs> mandates affect Black and Brown, you know, Hispanic children more than any. Uh, uh-huh. You know, just, just, I'm just this selfless person. Uh, I mean, you know. Dave, as a historian, you see, I mean, the American history with vaccines does have uh, some really troubling, you know, uh, parts to it, especially mm-hmm. the first vaccines. And you know that better than anyone. Sure. I mean, so you having seen that and having seen where we're at now, um, what lessons have we not learned? <laughs> <laughs> All? <laughs> yeah uh we th- th- we are really good at just totally ignoring history and just even recent history like it's it's actually astounding that's why i love the book is because i feel like no one has done like a a to b this is what happened through covid and that's what really needs to be laid out because they're obviously rewriting history as we talk yeah but yeah no one took away i remember my my kid was on a baseball team and uh, there was a, a dad who was black and they were talking about the vaccine and he goes, I'm not getting that. And everyone's like, why? And he goes, I'm black, man. Don't you know what our history? And no one knew the history. And I was like, yeah, I know the history. Uh, yeah. Lab rat shit. Like it's really bad. Yeah. So, but man, 
whatever happened with the vaccine and i think the 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 response made it super complicated and the misinformation super complicated but we took away the absolute the the worst, worst lessons of, uh, yeah, yeah the worst lessons of it, of anything that we could have taken away it's really astounding and i think that's because there's just a massive void by the government yeah of information yeah. right um, and but it's it gets, it's the worst yeah and then it gets filled yeah no i agree the covid revisionism really bothers me really bothers mm -hmm. me so that's another reason i agree i'm so grateful for the book well speaking of the book jonathan after it came out um i saw online and i'm sure this happened a lot more than i saw that you were challenged to a lot of different debates you were challenged to a long line of debates people want you to debate Bhattacharya and Koldorf and, uh, you know, whoever else there was, RFK. Tell me how you um, how, how you address those challenges. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think that for the most part, verbal debates are a bad idea because they reward mm -hmm. uh, the best speaker, not mm -hmm. the person with the best ideas. Uh, it is is much easier to spread a piece of misinformation than to refute it. Uh, it's not like I know every single aspect of every single part of the pandemic. So if I was speaking to RFK, who I'm not on his level, he never notices me or invited me to debate. But, it, you know, one could imagine him just pulling some sort of statistic out of his ass uh, that I wouldn't know how to refute, that he just made it up off the spot. Oh, there was this one study from Singapore which showed X, Y, Z, and then you read the study and show that at all. But unless you're familiar with that study, you wouldn't know how to refute it. Uh, and it's, it's as I said, it, there, there's something called Brandolini, which says that the amount of effort it takes to refute bullshit uh, is an order of magnitude greater than the amount of effort it takes to, to create bullshit. So um, for the most part, I, I when people challenge me to debate, I said one of two things. I said, I accept and I will debate you in a written format. And mm -hmm. I listed, I referenced my 100 science-based medicine articles. And I said, pick one, write a rebuttal. And only one person took me up on that, businessman Steve Kirsch. Uh, and uh, so he, he, he and I got into a, a written debate. Uh, but everyone else just turned away and ran. Uh, or I said, fine, I will agree to debate you. And all I will do is read things that you said during the pandemic. Yes. And no one agreed to no one agreed to uh, hear, hear, hear me read their own words back to them. Well, since nobody took you up on that, I figured that maybe we could do it now, at least. Can we I, will. Yeah. Can I say something first? I, I think it's a really good point to make. You shouldn't debate them because one of the main reasons we don't have the Equal Rights Amendment is because Phyllis Schlafly was sort of was an architect of of being the calm debater while saying the most insane ridiculous things that would make the person they're debating get angry and flip out and it came across as losing as well as today Mehdi Hassan had uh that Vivek guy on and yeah. was literally questioning him refuting what he had saying while holding up his tax returns while Vivek said that's not true and he's holding them in his hands and so you can't you can't win against that yeah. because the guy's just saying no. And he's like, I'm literally holding the information and he yeah. just keeps saying no. So the only way to do it is, as Jonathan says, like, I will read your words back to you. I actually I think it's brilliant. And I understand why they want no part in it. I absolutely. I mean, yeah, 
I, we're going to hear some of those these tweets and these quotes here. I want to be clear. I mean, nobody was 100% right about COVID. I, that's that's not the point. Everyone made mistakes. I mean, I certainly regret in 2016 that tweet I had about wanting Army Hammer, Bill Cosby, and Kevin Spacey to be in one movie together. That was a bad one. <laughs> so we're all imperfect, and we all make some mistakes. But the problem here is these people are making this are making these mistakes about other people's lives consistently. And they do not seem to be correcting them. They seem to be doubling down because some of these people, as I'm sure Jonathan will mention, started out, I mean, Dave, you may not know this, but some of these people started out as pretty reasonable doctors. And we would Is have- that pretty true? Yeah. Some oh. of them had we had pretty reasonable debates with. And some of them we would have discussions with. I wouldn't agree with everything Vinay Prasad would write. But I was always like, okay, well, he's writing some interesting stuff about, you know, cancer medicines, which he's an oncologist. And there are other doctors who, who are at one point actually were revered in their field. But what happens along the way, and you know, we've talked about this a lot on the show, and I still don't entirely understand it. But what definitely seems to happen is it's a bit of audience capture. They start to slowly over time drift. And they're getting a lot more interest. People are 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 retweeting them and they're getting a lot more of an audience. Their Substack picks up, things start to change. They start to build this audience and it's like they just jump shark after shark after shark before you know it, you're writing something like, don't test, <laughs> go send your COVID filled child to school to get other kids sick. It's like something happens, it's gradual, but yeah, it's kind of happened. It, so, Is it possible that at, uh, U.S. UCSF, there's some kind of slow gas leak. <laughs> you know, because I'm here in San Francisco, and and <laughs> and it's like it is funny. The um, the the air of the place has taken a big hit. Stanford too, yes. a little bit because of Bhattacharya. But you know, I always looked up to UCSF. I was always like, okay, this study came out of UCSF. These people do good work. I mean, actually, I took some of my research courses there. So like, uh-huh. I I think they are fantastic, and they're really well revered institution but yeah it's 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 taken a hit because of covid and it's yeah. really the the esteem of it has gone down a bit. i mean it's still great but like it's a problem and a lot of the people there know it too um but most of them don't have the voice that right. Prasad does you know um so so anyways so nobody's perfect but we're gonna make fun of them anyways um jonathan will you you have an endless amount of these quotes and these tweets from these people and I'm and I'm certain I'm certain that people can read more than you'll be able to share with us today in your book which again I highly recommend and you should listen to our episode on the book but you should also just get the book um will you share some of your favorite quotes and tweets over the last three to four years with us here today absolutely so we we can begin um and I'll just say this, you know, we are going to have a, a, a sort of a fun time with this and it's okay that we're laughing and, and, and making fun of this. But I, I do want to stress that a lot of these quotes had real world consequences. So we shouldn't lose sight of this, you know, that this really influenced things on the ground. And for the most part, uh, the doctors who I uh, write about uh, were, were sheltered from the consequences of their words. They were not there at the bedside, you know, ha- having patients say goodbye to their families, uh, you know, on, on on iPads. You know, they were not at risk of getting COVID themselves. They were yeah. laptop class doctors. Um, so I, I think 
think we shouldn't lose sight of that. Um, but uh, let's speak. So here's a good one. This one is from March 19th, 2020 by Dr. John Ioannidis, who was a, and still is sort of perhaps America's most uh, uh, famous scientist other than Fauci himself, uh, just sort of a world-renowned statistician and epidemiologist. And he said on March 19th, 2020, when there were 166 deaths, if only part of the resources mobilized to implement extreme measures for COVID-19 had been invested towards enhancing influenza vaccination uptake, tens of thousands of influenza deaths might have been averted. So, what? wow. <laughs> Does he, maybe he got them confused. Tens the of two? thousands of influenza deaths. Is it possible he meant to say the other? Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Their way around. I mean, this sort of thinking was was not uncommon in March 2020. Uh, you know, that a lot of people underestimated the virus, a lot of smart people. But I think Kabe's point is the right one, that smart people are... are recognize their errors and change their minds. And none of the doctors who, who we're going to discuss did that. It also... March, March 20th. March 20th is, I believe, the exact day that I was doing a show with Burt Kreischer in Los Angeles. And I was with my co-host, Gareth Reynolds. And I looked at Burt and he was talking about his tour. And I said, you're not going on tour. And he goes, what are you talking about? I go, it's all canceled. And he's like, what do you mean? I go, COVID's here. This is a real serious thing. This is going to shut everything down. You're not going to be able to do shows. And he's like, what? So how do I know that? <laughs> and this, this guy who's the second most famous is a total jacket. Like what's happening right now. I'm just a comedian. How, how, Oh, don't be so harsh. You're, you're <laughs> also a podcaster. I, I totally agree. And what bothers me about these, this category, this is a whole category, uh, is that like, it, it assumes that we can't care about both. You know, yes, we should care about other vaccines. We do. Yeah. <laughs> but we should also care about this vaccine, this COVID vaccine. And these are the same people who like a year later started writing things like, that's just a shame that now people aren't going to want to get vaccinated for the flu because they just don't trust public <laughs> health. Absolutely. You know? Those are the guys that drive me the craziest. All right. Give us another one. All right. So on uh, same doctor on April 9th, 2020, he said, um, hold on one second. He said in an interview in the Washington Post, um, 
if I were to make an informed estimate based on the limiting testing data we have, I would say that COVID-19 will result in fewer than 40,000 deaths this season <laughs> in the USA. But now let me tell you what was going on in the ground at that time. Are you ready? No, God, no. So, so by that point, by April 9th, there were about 20 to 22,000 deaths in the United States already. And 2,000 Americans were dying per day. So unless COVID vanished, his prediction would age poorly. And indeed, eight days later, on April 17th or so, uh, we reached 40,000 deaths in this country. And he went on a Fox News TV host, uh, a, a host, a TV show hosted by, by Fox News firebrand Mark Levin and continued to minimize the virus. So even though his prediction was obliterated in eight days, he was just unfazed. And how did he get around this? He started spreading some of the conspiracy theories that became uh, uh, part and parcel of our COVID discourse and are still here, that people were dying with COVID, not of COVID, uh, that people yeah. were dying from harms from the lockdowns, that you couldn't trust death certificates, and later blaming frontline doctors for killing patients with ventilators. So, Jonathan, oh, Jonathan, good. we call that in the business the pivot. He pivoted. Give the guy credit. He was so fucking dead in the water, and he turned it into Fox News lemonade because he's fucking brilliant in a way that most doctors are not. Most doctors would have given up or just hidden. We would have stopped talking. <laughs> it would have been it. We'd be like, all right, I'm done. That was me. That was me on the internet. I'm done. But some of these guys found these brilliant ways to circumvent these uh, terrible failures that they had online. So it's, there is a small part of me that respects him for that. It's like standing in the killing fields of Camp Uchi and going, we're going to have a lot of teachers when this is over. <laughs> Just a lot. <laughs> Deep history. Cut. All right. So let's see. Here's another one. Here's another one. Okay. So this is from Dr. John Mandrola on May 4th, 2020. Uh, he's had a lot of tweets at this time in May 2020 saying, it's May, not March. It's May, not March. As if we were in a totally different place. <laughs> so May 4th, 2020, he tweeted, U.S. hospitals not close to being overrun. It's the opposite in most places. Everything I know is opening up for more regular health care. Good. We have learned how to limit nosocomial spread, that spread of the virus in a hospital. So we have learned how to limit nosocomial spread. It's May, not March. And with that quote, and, and Dr. John Mandrola is another person. He wrote for Medscape. He has a popular cardiology podcast. Yeah. It's for the same blog as Dr. Vinay Prasad, uh, Sensible Medicine, where they accuse everyone else of, of, of groupthink, even as they say the exact same things for three years straight. Anyway, so, you know, he's got a big, big social media following this guy. And what this quote really illustrates is that the fact that we did an OK job at slowing down the spread of the virus was used as evidence that those measures weren't necessary. And we saw this all the time. The mm -hmm. fact that we did a decent job of protecting kids at the start of the pandemic was used as evidence that kids didn't need protection. So you would read these quotes, you know, oh, more kids die of suicide than, than COVID. 
that's because we didn't let 73 million kids get COVID in, in the spring of 2020, as a lot of these doctors suggested. Um, so, so I think that that quote sort of really illustrates that well, that no hospitals are close to being overrun is the opposite in most places. Yeah, because we didn't let COVID run. Anyways. Yeah, no, but absolutely. <laughs> uh, but who can forget the festive days of May? I mean, that was we were just experiencing a joy and it was so fun. I went to Chuck E. Cheese. It's May. It's May. <laughs> you, you, where does he practice? Where where does you know? Is it the Midwest? Uh, hell. uh Kentucky. He is he, he but yeah, no, he has multiple quotes from May tw- May 2020. Whoa. Here's another one. Uh <laughs> May is different from March. People are not stupid. Public health surveillance is better. Hospitals are ready. New York City-like situations are unlikely now in the U.S. I mean, just does he have any thoughts about again. August or September? Does he? Does he? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's only May. It's only May. It's he's, the, he's, the, he's the dog in the fire meme. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, the reason I ask if he where he practices is because a lot of these people. I mean. Uh, it's I I don't want to say New York was the only place that had to deal with tremendous damage here in the country, but they were the first two really. And the doctors that were there, it's really rare to see a doctor who worked in the front lines anywhere from New York be one of these people coming out. It's these people who didn't, who were in other places where we learned from what was happening over there. Mm-hmm. You know, I had gotten on Twitter for the first time right around the start of uh, of COVID. I had been, I had an account, but I never used it until then. And I started looking and seeing the tweets and the pictures from people in Italy and Iran and China and then New York. And I took it very seriously early on because of that. And I didn't need to experience and No part of my brain needed that experience to believe how bad it was. Do you know what I mean? I'm very lucky in San Francisco. We're very lucky for the most part. We were able to hold out the the incredible surges that we were expecting. But a lot of it was because of these things that we did that now COVID revisionists are using against uh, against the, the same sensible choices that I think we made. And and like they talk about we'll talk about lockdown. You have any lockdown quotes? Oh, boy. Um, I, I, I can think of some off the top of my head, certainly where people compared uh, lockdowns. Uh, Martin Kuldorf of the Great uh, Barrington Declaration said lockdowns were the greatest assault on the working class since <laughs> Vietnam and segregation. <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm always a little bit careful when talking about lockdowns because the same way I correctly accuse these doctors of being sheltered from the consequences of their words, uh, I always want to recognize that I was relatively protected from the the consequences of lockdowns, which were, you know, they were pretty stringent in New York Mm -hmm. City, meaning uh, I never had to worry about a paycheck. I was never lonely because I worked throughout the pandemic. My school, my kids missed a lot of school. So it wasn't like we were totally untouched, uh, you know, but compared to a small business owner uh, who had to pay rent, you know, I would got, got off scot-free from the, lockdown, from the lockdown. So I'm always careful to recognize my sort of privilege that way. But I do not think that lockdowns were the greatest assault on the working class uh, since segregation in Vietnam. And if you go to, you know, the average working class Joe today, uh, they're not sitting there complaining about the lockdowns. It is the laptop class doctors who mm-hmm. benefited from the lockdowns, uh, who who are treating them as if they were just these 
catastrophic things from which we will, you know, it's going to be intergenerational trauma uh, <laughs> from from businesses and schools and churches being closed for for uh, a lot of 2020. And obviously, it depends on where you were. Um, so there are some good lockdown quotes for you. I mean, the intergenerational uh, disaster is the the complete destruction of public health. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to haunt us for the fact that we came out of this somehow weaker mm -hmm. from a public health standpoint is uh, really scary. Don't you look at this like Vance trying to say we can't, you know, make a law against Mac uh, mask mandates. Uh, thank God that got stopped. But you watch that and you go. You guys have heard of bird flu, right? You know that like there are things out there that are worse that you want masks for. Yeah. Even if you don't want to do it for COVID, there's real bad things. It, like it's really wild. And, and it's all if we were living in a sensible, if we were really practicing, quote unquote, sensible medicine, we would be uh, a place that is OK, understands sometimes we might want to put on masks. Sometimes that might be what we do for a period of time. And then sometimes we'll like maybe have a, a colored tier system where it's like, oh, uh, you know, this and this are really high right now. Please wear a mask for these periods of time. And people just do it without a mandate. That would be the ideal situation. But sure. people are so terrified of that. And it became so politicized that we're never going to have that again. I mean, and people talk about lockdowns like it lasted years. It didn't. And people talk about it like it's going to happen again. They use it like to rile up their audience. But no one's talking about lockdowns. I mean, some people talk about mask mandates here and there for certain things like businesses and hospitals and that sort of thing. But no one's talking about lockdowns again. Nobody wants to do that. So that that is the that's something that I think they're still using as part of this revisionist history that um, is going to haunt us. And, I, and, I, and it's such a sensible, easy thing that we could consider doing for humans around us and for ourselves, you know, that it's, it's, um, it's very unfortunate. And it's really depressing that we came out of this not becoming a mass culture that feels there's at least a place for it. The first time I heard about Prasad was when he wrote that article saying that masks are basically being nazis it's nazi germany it was one of the craziest things i've ever read to date still i was like this is just like a lunatic that no one should listen to ever like this is a madman you're like oh uh, he's a ucsf doctor oh i see <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but it was just is, so this wild this is how anti-vaxxers have talked for years they have routinely mm. compared all measures to control infectious diseases uh to to the holocaust um, and a lot of this even happened a hundred years ago. Obviously, the Holocaust hadn't happened by then, uh, so, so that didn't occur. But you can see old anti-vaccine propaganda. I found this one poster of this average guy on the street being stopped by the police and being injected by a doctor from a hundred years ago. Uh, and, and all of this stuff uh, happened during the 1918 flu. There was a, an anti-mask league, which was actually centered in San Francisco, believe yes. it or not. Uh, you know, so so all of this stuff uh, happened before and all of this stuff happened even before there were vaccines, believe it or not. The, 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 the very first person known to have vaccinated someone was not Edward Jenner. It was a farmer by the name of Benjamin Jesty. And everything I know about him, I know from his Wikipedia page pretty much. Uh, but he was he vaccinated his children against smallpox and was reviled for it. People thought very similar to today that vaccines contained 
impurities that they would turn people into cows and uh, he was uh, attacked on the streets but when a smallpox epidemic came through uh, his children were, were spared so everything that we're witnessing is as old as vaccines and knowledge of how viruses spread I mean, there were there were anti-vaccine riots in Massachusetts in the in the very late 1700s. There was smallpox. Is it just depressing to know history? (laughs) Just like it seems like there's not a lot of not depressing parts to it. It's it's being condensed now for I think a lot of people, but history is just like, oh, so we didn't learn anything? No, yeah. Oh, so we didn't learn anything. So we didn't learn anything. Oh, we didn't take anything. We didn't nothing. Nothing we learned. Like we didn't learn anything. Like it's all it is. It's all like the ending to that movie, Burn After Reading. You're watching that movie. What did we learn from this whole thing? Not a damn thing. Um, well, speaking speaking of, let me read um one of my favorites from uh April 11th, 1922, from uh, Dr. Jay Bhattacharya over at Stanford. March 2020, I asked Stanford for a letter granting me permission to travel to and from my office despite shelter in place. I carried that letter every single day in my pocket for a year in case I was stopped and asked to show my papers in the USA. <laughs> hey, up, you, know, you freak. No, what are you okay. doing? Oh my God, someone put this guy in actually Nazi Germany. Can we please just take him and transport him there for 10 minutes? 10 minutes! You know, the, the, the funny thing is, I'll be honest, so I live in the Bay Area. I was working every day during, or for the first couple of weeks, they, we shut down, but pretty shortly afterwards, we were working. And my wife is a hospitalist who's working every day. And I had to carry something too. I don't know if I told you guys this, but when I was 16, actually, I had to get this plastic card and I've had to carry it ever since. That allows okay. me to drive a car. And in case I ever get pulled over by a cop, I have to show it to them and say, yes, this is my my license <laughs> to drive. I thought, this was, a, I thought this was America. <laughs> I realized we were living in Nazi Germany. <laughs> I just he, so when he's trying to get on a plane, does he just stand there at the security screaming the whole time? Or does he actually get on the plane and show his ID? How's, no, how's just, that work? He just walks on because things are better now. It's March. It's Martin. No, it's May. It's May. May. It's May. All right. I'm sorry, Jonathan. What else do you have? So let's keep going. Here's what I'll try, I'll try to read one from like all of the greatest players. Are yeah. Um, so Scott Atlas. Uh, that's probably the most famous of, of 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 these names. Uh, he became uh, Trump's coronavirus star. He is a neuro at Stanford and worked with a very conservative Hoover institution there. And he became Scott's uh, Trump's coronavirus czar after auditioning for it on Fox News. And he said June 20th, 2020, June, excuse me, June 29th, 2020, when there were about 126,000 deaths, he said, we expected more cases with social mingling. But the fact is overwhelming majority of these cases are in younger, healthier people. These people do not have a significant problem. They do not have serious complications. They do not die. And so it's fantastic news that we have a lot of cases, but we don't see deaths going up. And that means, A, we're doing a better job of protecting the vulnerable. B, we're in good shape here. Um, 
So this speaks to the title of my book, We Want Them Infected. It's fantastic news that we have a lot of cases. So these a lot of doctors became, you know, cheerleaders for the virus and they celebrated rising cases. And keep in mind, no one was vaccinated then. Um, and yes, uh, younger people died uh not nearly as, as much as older people die, but death is not the only bad outcome from COVID, even though it was the only out, bad outcome that a lot of these doctors recognize. But it just really shows that this was, there was this widespread movement to purposely infect young people in the hopes that herd immunity would arrive in three to six months. We had a kid on my, uh, on my son's baseball team around this time, uh, and he got MISC, uh, mm-hmm. uh, sores on his feet, uh, mm. for about six weeks couldn't really you know do much uh, for six weeks um but yeah really super happy got it uh because uh, <laughs> about sores on their feet and everyone was thrilled he was super popular uh, so on the team every every parent is like oh i hope my kid gets really sick i mean it's just how you are it's just <laughs> one of those things how did that that work out with the herd immunity jonathan so that's another thing that's sort of like teenage suicide and concern for for black and hispanic children you heard it a lot in 2020. You heard it a lot in 2021. And then you don't hear it much anymore. So so there's a lot of Twitter feeds that the same way they mentioned suicides in 2020 and 2021, the same way that they mentioned that their concern for minority children in 20 and 20, 2020 and 2021. They talked about herd immunity a ton in 2020 and 2021. Uh, mocking people who who doubted the arrival of herd immunity, mocking people who were concerned about variants, uh, and they don't talk about herd immunity anymore. <laughs> it, it's funny that the earliest declarations that herd immunity was approaching actually come from April 2020, when people were claiming that Sweden, that Stockholm was close to achieving herd immunity in April 2020. Uh, it's it's really pretty astonishing to read some of those early, extremely confident tweets. You know that that's another thing that all of these doctors did as they approached the pandemic with this extreme confidence about this brand new virus, treating it as if it was measles or chickenpox, as if something we've known our whole lives. We knew exactly how it was going to behave. We knew that one infection would lead to permanent immunity. So just this arrogance. Yeah. I mean, be aware of any doctor that's that confident in a brand new disease, in a novel disease. It's just, we just don't know. Is it- that's like the craziest thing also like did does anybody remember the first sars like it wasn't (laughs) great Uh, i remember all those people there's tons of people who got long covid from that and that that didn't work out good for them like you just read this stuff and you're like how what do you why are you so they're still confident today everyone's like hey you can get a million times you don't know that you nobody knows that what are you doing but it's the same thing as how do you say that in april 20 it's like we're a month in you're like man this is this is going good (laughs) We're doing great, guys. I don't know what everyone's worried about. All right, John, I have one that I'd like to close with. But before I do that, do you have any you you want to get in? Oh, man, I would just say this. Uh, I have about 100 that I want to get in. We did not mention Monica Gandhi, who declared the 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 pandemic over the the most amazing one of all. She's she is incredible to me. Like she there's a lot of competition. The fact that she got (laughs) taken down by uh uh Medi. Hassan on yeah. M- um, MSNBC like just 
annihilated. And she goes, yeah. I'm done. I'm out of the public. I'm done. And then she's mm. back two months later saying the same garbage. It's incredible. You're addicted to it. That was, I have to say, I watched that again today because I solicited on Twitter for people to, to, to give me whatever tweets or quotes they wanted uh, read. And I watched that, that episode or just that clip of her being destroyed and you see her soul leaving her body yeah. when she has to watch herself on the Z dog show laughing variant Schmerians, and you see the look on her face. It's hard. It's hard. And everyone tells me, because in San Francisco, I know a lot of doctors who know her and they tell me, they're like, don't pick on her because she's what? really, really nice. Cause they really like who her. cares. And, and, and I'm sure she's very nice. I'm sure she's very nice. And I'm sure she's done great work with HIV AIDS patients in the past. I have no doubt about that, but to some degree, it, it's on the media too. They kept coming back to her. Every time you saw an article that the headline was UCSF professor tells us not to worry, herd immunity reach, blah, 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 or whatever. I'm like, oh, I, I know who I know who this is. I know who this always. is. Why? Why, why are you guys heard. doing that? Why are you guys? And I know it's because you want to give people hope and people say, oh, she's a voice of reason. But I mean, at some point, we have to stop giving her the microphone. But it's it's the Iraq war all over again. I mean, this is just a different version. They want to get people working and back to normal. They want to get all the factories functioning. They want to get the schools together so people can work. They want to get everything happening. And so you find those people that say there's, you know, like the same thing in Iraq. There's, there's WMDs there. They're definitely there. Like you find those people and you put them out. Like that's what she is. She's yeah. just a tool to get people back to work. Yeah, whether she knows or yeah. not, I don't think I don't think her intentions are bad. I think she, in her mind, is doing the the right thing. But that's exactly how she's being used. John, I'm sorry. Yeah, almost, it's, it's you know, I think she probably is a nice person. I think, uh, unlike a lot of the doctors who I, I write about, I don't think there's any grift there. It's, I, I think for her, it's almost she felt this is just me kind of shooting off the cuff here, but that she could bend the virus to her will. That that she believed in the power <laughs> of positive thinking. Um, <laughs> You so know. she's trying to do the secret. On she the, the on secret. <laughs> That's, I mean, that was my impression because she had a hundred tweets in 2020, uh, in 2021, you know, don't listen to the doom and gloom people, you know, almost as if predicting bad things would cause them to happen. Just a few other names that we got to mention. Marty McCary, uh, professor oh, yeah. of surgery at Johns Hopkins, who famously predicted uh, in, I think in February, 2020, he wrote this article, we'll have herd immunity by April, April, 2021. Oh. And then he went on national TV in May of 2021 and declared that most of the country had reached herd immunity. So he was oh. declaring the arrival of herd immunity uh, in May of 2021. He wrote these articles uh, in the New York Post, the risk of COVID is low. Now is the time to stop living in fear. Of course, it was always the time to stop living in fear, according mm -hmm. to these guys. Um, and uh, so so he obviously we've touched on Dr. Bhattacharya, who said mm -hmm. in April 2021, I think the central problem right now is the fear that people still feel about COVID. The central problem was that too many people were afraid of the virus. I, but, I, think, uh, I think a, lo uh, a lot of people don't realize that Bhattacharya was he was actually just a skin tab that fell off a of Reagan and then turned into a person. <laughs> fell into a, a puddle of toxic ooze and became, became a sentient professor. <laughs>
<laughs> All right, let me let me close with with my. Uh, I think this is an important one to close with because it's from one of the nation's greatest thinkers. Um, this is in March 2020 from Elon Musk. Based on current trends, probably close to zero new cases in the U.S. by the end of April. That man wants to put chips into your brain. So good luck, people. Good luck with that. He's a, he's another guy that thinks he can will stuff to happen. You know, you can be smart in one thing and just fucking so bad in others. And I don't know. Yeah. Anyways. Um, oh, yeah. It was really fun having both you guys on. Uh, Jonathan, again, tell people where they can find the book, please. So uh, it's available at Red Hawk Publishing. It's available at Amazon. Uh, right now, my pinned tweet is just uh, an hour of the audiobook uh, of quotes like these of, of oh. doctors declaring the pandemic over uh, from uh, starting with the one that I read from John Ioannidis in March uh, 2020. Uh, I think ending when I ended the book in December 2022 with uh, Monica Gandhi, but it's in over an hour of, of the narrator who did a great job uh, just reading these sorts of quotes that the pandemic is over now is the time to stop living in fear. Don't listen to anyone who's trying to scare you about variants. So it is just the doctor's words. Uh, and uh, I hope uh, people will listen to it. And then as always, I will keep writing for free for science-based medicine. Uh, some of my articles are, are novels there, but anyone who is accusing me of just being a grifter uh, can read any one of those articles. And I think they've held up pretty well. So thanks yeah, for great. having us on. And uh, Dave, not that the dollop, the beautiful, mighty dollop needs any assistance from my tiny little show, but tell people about the show and that, again, I listen to. Tell tell people about where they can find it and what it is. Um, it's a history podcast called The Dollop. And uh, basically, I just take a story from history uh, and I read it to my co-host Gareth Reynolds, so he's never heard it, and uh, he just reacts, and it's uh, often very shocking. It's it's the stuff you didn't get when you were uh, growing up. It's the stuff you didn't learn about. It's the truth. It's more interesting stuff than I think that you get taught in class. If you're new to the show and you're looking for an episode to introduce yourself, let me recommend the Benedict Arnold three or four parters, like a multi-parter. Four parter, yeah, four parter. Start, that's a great one to start with, where you're gonna get a side of history that you may not have, you definitely didn't hear about. You will hear how it's been misrepresented in history books and popular culture and why that is. And it's really funny on top of it. So uh, listen to the show. Thank you so much for and coming on. Also, I have another podcast, uh, The Audit, which is on The Lever. Uh, David Schroeder is The Lever, um, where we cover right-wing media and right-wing people mostly. And we recently did one, uh, like 10 episodes about PragerU, which I think oh, people cool. should educate themselves about, <laughs> uh, especially now because they're going into your schools and you can use the information we put out to fight against it. Fantastic. That's going to be added to my list. Thank you both so much. And what a blast. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. This is how this is how all podcasts will be in the future is one person just coughing and having to leave for a little while. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. 
Please consult a physician or other qualified health care provider for your specific health care needs or concerns. The opinions expressed on this podcast do not represent the opinions of our employees. Details in the podcast have been changed so that patient identification is not possible. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.